All right, so we start a new series uh, today, and typically, if you've been at Fellowship for a while, you would know typically we would wrap up one series having just gone through a book of the Bible. We just wrapped up Ecclesiastes. Eric did a fantastic job last week of wrapping that uh, series up for us, and we jump right in into the next book of the Bible. Our pattern here is we usually start at the beginning of a book and teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book until we get to the end. That's going to be our pattern. We're going to continue that pattern. That's a big part of our identity. But every now and again, and this is a great season for us, we'll pause that and we'll do something that we believe God has called us to. And in this instance, we begin a series called Wholehearted, where we're going to unpack what we believe the Spirit is leading us to as a church, our values, our mission, even some things like what are we going to be about, like what, what kinds of groups do we want? What kinds of worship services do we want? What kind of impact do we think God is calling us to in Franklin, in Middle Tennessee, and to the ends of the earth? We are 20 years old as a church, and this is a great time for us to be asking those questions. You know, I was thinking about myself when I was 20 years old. All right, think think about yourself when you were 20. I know some of you aren't quite there yet, so maybe it's a future dream. If you're below 20, you probably think 20 is old. If you're above 20, you realize it's really not old. The questions that I remember asking as a 20-year-old were, who am I and where am I going? In fact, we got a picture. I want to show you Rob at 20. Okay. Yeah, pretty smooth. You like that? Yeah. Rob did confess to me earlier that um, he was going after the Stephen Curtis Chapman look. Yeah. This is Back true. in the day, you, in the, the flowing in, locks. In, in the great adventure days, how he had the little cool little part right there. That, <laughs> I never quite got there, but that's, that is what I was going for. Um, you weren't supposed to say that. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, so that's me at the University of Georgia. I was in the marching band, played the trumpet. And uh, we, the, ironically, this was the Vanderbilt game uh, in, in the fall when, when I had just turned 20 years old. We played Vanderbilt yesterday. And... Uh, we are a lot better today than Georgia was when I was there. The mid-90s were some rough years. Great for Tennessee. By the way, I realized uh, I'm the same age as Peyton Manning. So while I was at Georgia, Peyton Manning was like beating up on us all four years. That was not a fun time. I'm with my sister, Kimberly, and her husband, Tim. Some of you know them. They actually go to Franklin campus. And uh, this was, for me, the fall of, uh, of, ni- of uh, let me get this right, 1995. 19, fall of 1995, I just turned 20 years old. I was asking, who am I and where am I going? I couldn't figure out what to major in. I started in music. I knew I wasn't going to end in music. It was just something you know, that I didn't know what else to do, and I did it. And then I finished in public relations. And I knew by the time I graduated, I still didn't know who I was and where I was going because I didn't want to do public relations. Uh, but but you're, when you're 20 years old, you don't yet fully know who you are and where you're going, but you're figuring it out. All right, I'm about to give you guys a lot of ammo in my picture, yes, okay? So I was confused, as you can see by this picture. <laughs> Let that sink in just a little bit. Some, uh, some kids came up to me afterwards. Yeah, thank you. Some kids came up to me afterwards, and they said, uh, I know the top two were you, but who are the bottom two guys? And I was like, those are me also. I, Eric, I got to tell the story. You told the story on me. So Eric showed me these pictures in the week, and I just zeroed in on that in the boxing one, the bottom left. And I said, Eric, if someone sent me that picture and said, you know this guy, who is it? I would not know, <laughs> and I would not name you. And he was like, no way. You can tell it's me. And so we did a test with our staff. And we, we pulled about eight staff members and said, 
Who, who is this guy? You know him. Who is it? And only one out of eight, only one out yeah. of eight could name Eric Hoffman. I don't think I look that different, but um, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking two things. I know there's a bunch of people that took screenshots of this uh, and are going to use it against me someday. It's been on Facebook the whole time, so just FYI. But I know some of you are thinking, hey, bring back the cornrows. And, so, and some of you now understand why Melissa found me so irresistible. And so, uh, but I remember when I was 20 years old, I was figuring out, just like Rob asking the question, God, what, you know, what do you have in store? You know, where am I going? And uh, I switched majors from, I thought I was going to go into education. And so I switched majors. And right around that time in God's sovereignty, he led me to help out in youth group, the uh, youth group that I grew up in. And that's when I became passionate about um, giving my life to full-time ministry in that way. So it's 20 years old. Now, 20 years old is pretty young for a human. It's even younger for a church. There are churches in our community right now, downtown Franklin, that have existed for over 100 years. And Lord willing, this is what we're praying for. And you know, this is a big prayer, but we're praying that, that fellowship would still be thriving after every person in this room is gone, you know, even the young, youngest of us in this room. That's what we're praying for. So when you put it in that perspective, 20 years, we're kind of like in the toddler stage of, of church life. But we're also asking the same questions 20 years in that Eric and I and you were asking 20 years old. Who are we and where are we going? And that's not to say that God has not done some fantastic things through fellowship in 20 years. And it's not to say that we haven't had an identity. We have. 20 years is a great time to re-ask those questions. Who are we and where are we going? And those are the questions we're going to be answering over the next six weeks in this vision series as we talk about a renewed articulation of values, a renewed articulation of mission, and a renewed vision for the future. So I personally, I'm, I'm as excited or more excited about this series as I have been any time that I've been at Fellowship. I think God's just on the move and he's He's revealed some things to us that I can't wait to honestly share with you. Today, here's how we want to start. We want to start by looking back. We're going to tell the story of Fellowship Bible Church over the last 20 years. Because oftentimes, if you want to know where you're going, the best way to, see, to, to look is what has God done with me in, in the past that would be a trajectory, that would be a pattern, that would be a rhythm. What is God doing in us over 20 years is a good clue on where he's gonna go with us moving forward. So we're gonna tell the story of fellowship, then we're gonna pull out some lessons that we believe God has instilled in us through this story. Now, we can't tell the story of fellowship without first telling the story of God. And so you'll notice in your program, today's um, message title is God's story, dot, 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 our story. The story of God starts in Genesis chapter one. You'll see how all this fits together with our story, but it starts with, uh, not Genesis, it starts in Genesis, but it starts with creation. And some of you are very familiar with four words that we use to tell the story of God in the Bible, which is a collection of 66 books, and the first is creation. Now we see this in Genesis one and in Genesis chapter two. God made the world he made everything that is in it, and he said, you know, day one, it is good. Day two, it is good. Day three, it is good, et cetera. He gets to when he makes human beings, and he says, it is 
very good, and on the seventh day he rests. And this is the creation story. Adam and Eve were put in a garden. Everything was rightly related. There was no brokenness. There was no broken relationships with God, no broken relationships with other human beings, no broken relationships with the creation itself. There was no curse. All was right. Didn't take long for things to go south. And I'm going to draw this next one, the fall, down below for obvious reasons. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, who had been made in the image of God to reflect God and to rule over creation under God's authority, chose instead that they wanted to be their own king. They wanted to be their own ruler. They didn't want to live under God's authority. And so in that one act of disobeying God, they were expressing a heart that would become divided. And so as Genesis chapter three, we get to the fall of mankind. And the Old Testament is the story of the fall and its implications. And there are hints of redemption, there are hints of something new coming, but only hints in the Old Testament. Then of course we get to the New Testament and we meet the person of Jesus and so the next act of our, of our historical drama here is redemption. Redemption, where Jesus Christ came fully God, fully man to redeem man and redeem creation. Now, isn't it interesting that he came as a man partially because he redeemed the image of God that was marred or broken in the fall. So Jesus, as king, is essentially living out the true purpose that human beings were designed for, to rule over the earth. But he is doing it in a way that is a perfect fulfillment of the image of the Father. In fact, Scripture tells us Jesus himself is the very image of God. And so we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And all this is pointing us to the last chapter, which is still yet to come, which is re-creation. Now, what's beautiful about this story is it's the, the Bible story is not just things are going to get back to where they were in the garden. It's that things are going to be better than they were in the garden, that it won't just be one little geography, the Garden of Eden, where things are right and things are whole. It will be the entire earth that will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And, and the city, the city of God, will come down from the heavens and it will rest on the new earth and heaven and earth will be fused together in a glorious new creation. And we believe what the Bible teaches about the new earth is it's going to have all the wonderful things in terms of, you know, rivers and, and trees and beautiful, wonderful things to eat. We're going to be feasting together. We're going to be glorifying God. It's going to be much more earthy than a lot of us imagine heaven to be, but it's going to be a renewed earth. It's going to be a whole earth. It's going to be a perfect earth earth. It's going to be combined with heaven itself. So this is the story of the Bible. This is the true story. This is the story. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Now, what's interesting about this is in the 20th century, about mid-20th century, some scholars began to look at the idea of story that crosses every cultural divide. And particularly a guy named Joseph Campbell did some research on this. And he came up with what he saw as a pattern in stories that transcend cultures, and it's called the story arc, or the hero's journey. And it essentially goes like this. There's a hero you're introduced to, or an individual, a main character. They, they kind of start up here, and then 
Pretty soon they encounter a problem. Pretty soon something gets rough. Pretty soon, you know, the, the, a Death Star is built. Or, you know, pretty soon there's some evil terrorist organization that's going to, you know, take over. You, you're starting to see connections with, with your favorite movies and books. Then at some point, there's going to be redemption. You know, there's going to be something that's going to happen somewhere down low that's going to bring the story back up. And there's going to be salvation. There's going to be, you know, Luke Skywalker blows up the Death Star. There's going to be something that's going to happen that's going to redeem the story. And then you always end up at a higher place than where you began. And the biggest change that happens is the growth of the character, him or herself. That This person over here starts out they think life's been pretty good, and by the time they get to the end of the story, they've grown. They're wiser, they're more mature, they know themselves better. Why did they grow? Because of the dip, because of the problem. Now, when you start to see this story arc play out, you'll see it in every story. I, it is, I believe God designed story to work this way and it all fits creation, fall, redemption, recreation, which is the true grand story of creation. So what we want to do is we're going to tell the story of fellowship. Eric in particular is going to walk back through 20 years of fellowship. You're going to see how in many ways it matches this story. In fact, we're going to do something you've probably never experienced in a church before. We're going to tell the story of our church, warts and all because it's not fellowship story, it's God's story. Yeah, and if you follow this, I mean, Rob just ruined every movie for you because you're gonna watch a movie and you're gonna be like, oh, this character is gonna face something in the next two minutes that they can't overcome by themselves. And at the end of the movie, they're gonna be a different person. You know, you're gonna start to see this kind of happen in movies. And when we looked at the story of fellowship, um, it followed the character arc. It followed the story, uh, the kind of the storyline of, of a character. Um, for many of you, you weren't around uh, when fellowship started. And so we wanted to just go back, what, what happened in these last 20 years? So that you, uh, in this room, if you weren't there, or you don't know all of the story of fellowship, that you can be kind of caught up, but then we want to be able to pull out what has God taught us in these last 20 years through some of the things that we've been through. So in 1997, back in the creation, we think about like, how is a church made? Like, how does a church start? Well, let me tell you the origin story of how Fellowship Bible Church started. There was Lloyd Shadrach and Jeff Schulte, and they were working for an organization in Little Rock, Arkansas called Family Life Ministries. And many of you have listened to them on the radio or been to a marriage conference or read some of the material that Family Life has put out, but they were both working for them and they were attending Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, who is planning a lot of churches and sending out teams and planning churches. And that was, it was born in them, those two men, that they wanted to plant a church. And so they're deciding, okay, God, where do you want to lead us? And God led them to plant a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And so they arrived in 1997, and they started forming a core group of saying, hey, who wants to be in on forming this church? Now, what they were calling people to was at the passage that we just read today, Ephesians 4. They wanted to be a church and start a church where every single person in the church was called to be about the work of ministry. 
about making disciples and serving and being about making an impact and being influencers in society and in the kingdom. And and so that's kind of what they were calling people to do. And so they started with families in the living room and Bible study. And then they started a kind of a core group from there. It was 50 children and 50 adults. Some of you were in that room and, and shaping, hey, this is what the type of church we're gonna be. And they spent... They spent a couple of years kind of with that core group before they launched publicly of just instilling kind of core values and who they wanted to be. And we actually have a picture of one of the core group meetings in Franklin High School. This is, in, I think, in the cafeteria area. And the person in the center of that is actually Lloyd Shadrach. You just don't recognize him because he has hair um, there. And next to Lloyd is a little, he was telling us the story, uh, the little black speaker. Now, this is actually a car speaker that they would take out every meeting from the car and they'd put it on a little stand and hook a microphone up to, okay? So things have changed since those days. But every person in in that picture, they were called to the same thing. There wasn't anyone in that picture where you could just kind of show up and just leave, like every way, it was all hands on deck. Every person had to be plugged in somewhere, doing something plugged into community. That's the type of church that they were starting. Not just a church, they just go once a week and, and come to a building and then leave. No, they wanted to be people who were gonna make an impact where they're gonna be living out Ephesians 4. And that's Negley's, you were there, and you remember being called to that, and it was exciting, and it was, it was, it was, there was a lot going on in there. And so then in 1998, they had their first uh, public worship service, and they uh, quickly uh, started to grow in the next five years um, to where they were at about 600. So it started off with about 100. In a couple years, they were at about 600 in the high school. And then in 2003, we purchased land on the corner of Franklin and Concord Road, which is where our Brentwood campus is today. And so when we purchased that land and built that building, moved in there, there was about 600 people total. And within the next couple of years, it doubled. Within the next couple of months, it actually doubled to 1,200 people. And so just explosive growth right away. Well, in the next three years, a couple thousand more people were kind of coming in here. Now, at that time, the leadership and the elders, they were just like, whoa, what do we do? You know, like, I mean, there's thousands of people coming. And you think about like all of that happening at once, they just started like, you know, just making decisions and strategy and how do we get these people in groups and how do we call these people to serve? And, you know, so if you think about the early parts of the origins, like every, they knew every person's story, every person's name, and were able to develop. It was, it was what we would call healthy growth. Um, it was in, intentional, it was purposeful. And then you have just an explosion of growth and you just start just trying to almost some pragmatism start doing like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna strategize? And so when, when Lloyd and all of us were talking about our, our kind of our narrative of our story, there's somewhere in, in, in that where we started to, to shift from, man, God has to make, the, it has to be, everything has to be centered in what God is gonna do. God has to show up in order for this church to take off. That's the core group. To, we gotta figure this thing out. How are we gonna do this? You know, not in like, I mean, not in an intentional, like we don't wanna be, you know, God to be you know, the center, to be dependent on that, but it really switched to, man, like we have to figure this out. So in about 2005, um, there was the first kind of thing of where fellowship ran into its first kind of wall and first big hurdle and Jeff Schulte being transitioned off staff. 
And so you have the founding pastor, uh, one of the founding pastors being, being transitioned off of staff and just how difficult that was. And anytime there's a leadership transition, it's difficult, not just for the people that work and around that every day, but for everyone, it has ripple effects in the church. But from 2005 to 2009, the church continued to still grow numerically, but there was a, kind of a, a, some challenges that kind of rippled out of like, who are we? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna go forward? How are we gonna make this work? They started to ask all those questions. And in 2010, they had a decision to make. Are we gonna build a bigger building at Brentwood campus to house you know, more people on a Sunday morning? Or are we gonna do something different? And again, this is kind of in those years of like, we've got to figure this out. And so we made the decision of instead of building a, builder, building a bigger building, we're going to launch uh, churches that will go into kind of the heart of some of these communities or where people are coming from. Because Brentwood was kind of a regional campus being off of 65. And we kind of want to launch uh, churches into some different places where there's more local kind of reach where people can invite their neighbors and coworkers to. And so in 2010 was the decision to launch Franklin Campus, one of our first campuses that we were doing. And so Melissa and I were hired in uh, late 2010. We moved here and we began doing what Fellowship did back in the creation. We started a core group and we said, okay, here's what we want to do. We kind of want to go back to the roots and we kind of, we want to start a church that's going to reach the people in this, in this area. And so we started doing, doing that. And at the whole, if we kind of zoom out as, as the whole level, launching a campus took a lot of energy. It took a lot of energy. In some ways, it was, it was sideways energy. We needed as a church, we needed clarity of, and unity again and going back to where God, where are you calling us and what are you doing? And then you launch Franklin Campus and it kind of diverts energy to two different two different places. And so now we've got to keep this thing going and launch this. And so you kind of have that. Now at Franklin, we had the opportunity to have a smaller uh, church to be able to communicate in, in different ways. And we, we started to see some growth happen and immaturity start to happen here in the midst of kind of some confusion in that, of trying to figure things out. And so we, you know, we started with 150 in our core group, men on, in the Brentwood campus and the barn, launched into here 2012. And you know, today we have over a thousand people that call Franklin campus its home and 800 every Sunday. And there's some things that God has been shaping here in us that is gonna infiltrate the whole. Like that there's some things that God has taught us of what it, what it means to, to make disciples and what it, what it looks like in this, in this community. And so there's been some things, some great work in that. But I would say in the midst of this, you know, of leadership transition, but then also just figuring things out, there was kind of some confusion of what is God calling us as a whole church to? Where, where are we heading? And there's some kind of some plateau, but then there's also just some things that we're just trying to figure out, okay, what do we, where are we going and what does that look like and, and how are we gonna get there? And there's a lot of, a lot of confusion in this, in this season. And then 2014, Another event happened with a lawsuit that took a lot of energy for us as a church and leadership of a church. Instead of focusing in on our, our mission and, our, and where we're going, how we're going to make disciples and what that looks like, there's a lot of sideways energy um, in that. 
And so we had, we had that kind of in, in the midst in 2014. And then down here in, in 2016 through 2018, of understanding leadership and, and doing team is difficult. And there's some leadership transitions with Bill Wellens and then Michael Easley. And so you had, you had this all kind of happening in here of trying to figure out, okay, what, God, what are you doing and where are you leading? And that's where the elders and leadership team decided we're gonna, we need a, a lead a pastor to, come, to help us and, and collaborate and lead this team. And that's when we named Rob Sweet as our lead pastor. And part of that process was refreshing our elder board. Part of that process was bringing in um, Oxano to help us to kind of help us understand our story, what God's been doing in our midst, uh, what uniquely, who we uniquely are as a church and where we're gonna have the most impact uh, for the kingdom. And that, has, that work has been over the last year as we've been kind of clarifying and seeking renewal and seeking redemption in some of those things of what God has been doing. But God has been forming some things in us in the midst of this whole story. God has been doing some things that we want to start bringing clarity to of as we are, the Spirit is, is understanding where he's been leading us. And I uh, have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this story. And I am more excited about what God is doing in our midst today than I have been even when we first started since I've been here. And one of the things is how Rob has led us. He's a collaborative leader. He understands team but he's also led us to some places where we needed to take the slow work of asking the hard questions. God, in the midst of these things, in the midst of this valley, of this, in the midst of this confusion, what were you doing in us as a church? What were you doing in us as a people that you are now leading us for the future? And I believe that as we unpack this in the next six weeks, you're gonna have some clarity there's gonna be hopefully some unity by the spirit. And we are learning some things, not only about what God's been doing in us, but how he's been shaping us in the midst of that to prepare us for the future. So Rob's gonna just kind of unpack in the midst of this story of fellowship's journey over the last 20 years, what has God been teaching us and how has he been leading us in that process? So when you look at this arc, and you think about it not just at the macro level of the whole creation, but you think about an organization, you think about an individual, you think about a church, this is the way your story works. This is the way our story works. There's no story in the history of creation that starts here and goes in a perfectly straight line to the upper right-hand corner, right? There are always dips in every story. And by God's grace, and this is you know, what Eric was setting up, we want to learn from our story. And we're at a place, you know, I, we, we genuinely believe we're, we're kind of right in here. And, you know, I hate to have the, the label redemption recreation. That's the label for the grand story. But if you just focus on the ark, we believe we're somewhere right in here. We sense God's on the move in some unique ways. And how, what is he doing? He's used the dip. He's used the hard parts of our story to unify us and to teach us some very important lessons. And here's, here's the reality in all organizations follow this same kind of pattern. By God's grace, we, we believe he, he's growing us. And then guess what? We're gonna go, the dip's gonna happen again. 
And then years later, guess what? You're going to come up and guess what? The dip's going to go. This, this is our story. This is my story. This is your story. This is how God grows us over time. This is a pattern that keeps repeating itself. But notice you end differently than how you began. So where are we heading? That's the question that if I'm in your shoes, I'd want to know. Let me read to you what our elders believe are two themes from our story that God has powerfully written in us that are directing our future. Here's the first theme. It's God's story, not fellowship's story. It's easy to talk about a church of like, well, I go to fellowship and they're this size and they've got this teacher and that person and this ministry and we all identify with certain things of fellowship and that's just natural. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that this is God's story, not fellowship story. It was God's story here. It's God's story here. It's God's story here. It will be, Lord willing, God's story here. It's his story. So what does that mean? How does that shape us? Well, number one, it is reaffirmed to us the need for team ministry, the need for team teaching, the need for team leadership. Because when Jeff Schulte was no longer on staff here, the church could, could have imploded with a founding pastor no longer there, but by God's grace, and because it wasn't all about Jeff, fellowship survived, in fact, continued to grow. When Bill Wellens left a couple years ago, when Michael Easley left a little over a year ago, if it's just about one person, the church doesn't exist anymore. If, if Lloyd Shadrach were to you know, be gone tomorrow, no plans on that happening, by the way, this is no announcement. <laughs> Lord willing, Lloyd's gonna be here a long time, but the point is, even if Lloyd left tomorrow, it's not Lloyd's church, it's God's church. It's not about Lloyd, it's not about Jeff, it's not about Michael, not about Bill, not about Rob, not about Eric, it's not about any single individual. It is God's story, so we believe in Team. The other thing I think that this lesson has instilled, particularly in our elder team, is a humility that's rather remarkable. This is the third church that I've served at on staff, and each church that I've served at has been a Bible church with very similar approach to preaching, very similar DNA in many ways. They're actually all coming from the same, same tree, the Fellowship Bible Church movement. And this is, by a substantial margin, the most humble open to God elder team that I've ever experienced. That is a phenomenal blessing for a church. There is a humility. Why is the humility in us? Because we've had to learn the hard way. When, when your name is in the papers for all the wrong reason, and y'all, we can't say that much about that lawsuit, but what I can say is I've never been in a church that has better systems for protecting safety of children as this church does. And yet, and yet, here our name is in all the papers for all the wrong reasons. You don't think that that instills in you a deep sense of humility? When you have to go to a longtime teaching pastor, someone who is a personal mentor of mine, and, and, and you have to say it's time for a change to transition off because the current leadership structure is not working because it's not unified. You don't think that's hard? You don't think that grows humility in you? It does. These are the hard parts of our story. It's God's story though, not our story. So we can proclaim it with integrity. I want you to think about the same idea in your own story in your life. If it's your story and not God's, then you've got a lot of pride when things are going well and a lot of shame when things aren't. But if you can see that it's God's story all along, that Jesus is the hero, not you, then you can be courageously real. 
and you can share about your hurts and your woundedness, and you can have a lot of humility even when things start going better. And this is what I believe uh, an enormous lesson that God has uniquely implanted in this church because it's not always been easy. That's theme number one. It's God's story, not fellowship story. Theme number two, God has never stopped working. He was working at the beginning. He was working when this church was, you know, the hot church in town. He was working right down in here and all the hard part. He continues to work today. If it's his story, he's never stopped working. He's used the difficult times to deepen us. Now, here's reality. Even though we now have a couple campuses rather than one, numerically, we're actually a smaller church than we were in about 2012. I think 2012 was the high point for fellowships attendance. And, and, and we're not dramatically smaller, but, but we're smaller now than we were. But you know what we also are? Deeper. We are a much deeper church. In fact, I want to read to you some things that our elders, as they walked through this process, and we, we spent two whole days on our story. I want to read to you a list that the elders believe is true about us, the kind of depth that God has put in us through a 20-year story. Number one, uh, our elder team believes that we're more spiritually and theologically sound than we've ever been in the past. Number two, our elder team believes we have a greater fear of God and a greater dependence on the Spirit. We believe we're keenly aware of our need for God and our inability to move forward without him. I got one more, but let me just pause on that one. Church leadership is this interesting dynamic, interesting dance of, of human ideas and vision, but always on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, some organizations and even some churches can get out of balance, and it becomes really more about the human leaders and less about the spirit guiding. I think that's what happened to a certain degree here, at least Lloyd and others that on our elder team that have been around from the beginning. They said, you know, in all of our success, at some point in time, you look around and you start thinking, I think we've cracked the code on church. Everybody's coming. We're the hot thing in town. You start losing sight of we're a wind-powered ship, not a human-powered ship. We're dependent on the wind of the Spirit, the breath of God, you see. You can't take your eye off that ball. We believe right now, by God's grace, we're keenly aware of our need for God and our inability to move forward without him. Praise God for that. And then the last thing we believe is true is we're a lot more unified than we've been in years. And to a church that's committed to team ministry, that is I, mean, I was, was going to say that's everything. It's not everything, but that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. I've used this analogy before. Um, some people think about you know, um, you know the team teaching. You know, Rob and Lloyd, Rob and Lloyd, and, and it was you know Bill and Michael and Lloyd and Rob. And you know, at some point in time, you know, I don't know if it ever got confusing to you guys or not. But some people think, oh, that's great. It's like starting starting pitchers on a, a team. You know, we can win with with all of them. It, we, we like all of them, and, and that's true. But from a staff perspective, from a leadership perspective, from a vision perspective, the better analogy to use is your, your leaders and your teachers need to be more like an offensive line on a football team than a starting pitcher rotation in, in a baseball team, if you follow that analogy. They've got to be on the same page. They've got to block the same direction. They've got to run the same, same pages. And, and we believe, by God's grace, we're more unified than we've been in a long time, not just from a teaching perspective, but from an elder perspective and from a staff perspective. And and that's just the work of God doing his thing somewhere in here to help us learn it's not about us. 
We're going to look to him for unity, and we're going to look to him for direction. The last thing the elder team did in these two days of, of looking at our story over 20 years and drawing out the meaning and lesson of our story over 20 years was we turned to the book of Revelation, and we asked the question, if Jesus Christ were to speak to us directly at the 20-year mark like he did those seven churches in the book of Revelation, what would he say? And so we read through that, those passages in Revelation and they follow a pattern. So what, what Jesus would do is he would address a church and he would give them a commendation, a condemnation, and a gracious promise. A commendation, here's what you're doing well. Condemnation, here's what I hold against you or what I want you to focus on and, and change, what I want you to repent of. And a gracious promise, this is what I'm going to do in and through you. So our elder team spent about a half day praying over those texts and asking God to reveal to us what might be our commendation, condemnation, and gracious promise. And we filled four or five uh, um, sheets of a flip, flipboard with, with that and put them around the room in the retreat center where we were, and we prayed over them. We took a little bit of a break, came back and prayed over them. And then we asked God to lead us, and we each went up, and we just sort of circled the ones that we felt like the Spirit was leading us to most directly. And I literally believe God leads people and he leads churches. And how does he do that? Through the word of God, through prayer, and through counsel. And we did those three things. And so we've got confidence, and I'm going to read to you what we came to. We believe this is God leading us. We honestly do. We say that unapologetically because we're focused on God, not us. It's to the best of our ability. So here were the three that came out of that activity. Our, our commendation might be this, that you have held fast to the clear teaching of my word. That Jesus might say that to us. Throughout all the dips of fellowship, the high points, the low points, this church has always held fast to the clear teaching of his word. Think about how important that is in the culture of our day. Think about how many churches have not done that. And we're not judging any other churches, but we just hear Jesus Christ say to us, well done, you've held fast to the clear teaching of our word. And that fuels us to make that a priority moving forward. We're not gonna get away from that. In fact, next week, Lloyd will be here walking through our core values Core value number one, I'll go ahead and spoil the surprise. Word-centered. And that's the written word of God and the living word of God, Jesus Christ. We're gonna keep the word the center of what we do. That would be our commendation, we, we believe, from, from Jesus Christ for our church. Condemnation, this is where you get squirmy, you know, at least that's for us, we're in the room and, you know, uh, Lloyd tells the story of, you know, he didn't really wanna do the activity when it got to the condemnation, you know, because nobody likes to hear what the condemnation would be. And this is what flowed out of, out of the group. In fact, Chris White was a part of this and, and you know, he said something and, in, in this uh, process that just the room got silent and we just all said yes. That, that would be something the Holy Spirit would say and here's what it was, that you've not uh, um, fully known my love nor have you loved me and others with your whole heart. With your whole heart. Now, you think about this for a minute. Um, the love of God should guide us and fuel us. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with everything you are, your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what we believe Jesus would say is, 
you preach the word, praise God, I'm going to commend you for that. And there's a failure to love that's at the root that I want you to repent of. A failure to love me with everything you are and a failure to love others in your community, in your area, in your own church, in your groups, in, in, in your leadership, in relationships. A failure to love, that hits hard. You failed to love me and others with your whole heart. And so here we are now, we're praying, God, what would it look like for us to be wholehearted? What would it look like for us to make love a priority? What would it look like for us for the word of God as central as it is to flow out in us in practical ways, to not just know God's word, as important that is, but to live God's word because God's word is always gonna point us to Jesus. And Jesus says, love God, love others. That might be our condemnation. And then the gracious promise, and, and, and I, I misstated before, it was actually Chris White that spoke into the gracious promise, and, and here it is. Uh, I will be glorified in and through you. Lives will be saved, disciples made. And quoting from Psalm 86, 11, I will grant you an undivided heart that you may fear my name. I don't know if y'all feel that like I do as you know, one of the leaders around here, but what a gracious promise that Jesus would say, I will be glorified in and through you, not fellowship, but me, Jesus Christ. Oh, would that not be true? Jesus, make that true. Lives will be saved, disciples made, and I will grant you an undivided heart. Put the pieces of our heart back together so we can have whole hearts and our love for God and other people. May that be. May that be. This is one of the main reasons we've titled this series Wholehearted. And you're going to hear over the next six, six weeks or so what we believe God is calling us to to respond to the commendation, the condemnation, and the gracious promise of the Holy Spirit. One thing as we um, started looking at our story as fellowship it's true that this is also your story. And I want you just right now, as, as we're kind of coming to an end, I want you just to think back on your story. And some of you don't have to think back, you're in it. Where it some of the hard seasons where after you got out of those and you look back on me like, I am not the same person because of what God did here. Like he actually formed in me something that I would not have chose I would not have walked through on my own, but I am a different person and walking different because I walk through this. My father-in-law, I remember when I was walking through a hard season and he said very wise words to me. He said, God does not waste pain when you walk with him. And I wanna read a, a scripture because I, I want you to think about your own story kind of in this character arc. How has God done this work in your own story? In 2 Corinthians 1, it said, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction and our trouble, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we have received from God. So we receive comfort so that we can extend that same comfort to others. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is our comfort abundant in Christ. And if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort.
and for your salvation. Now think about this. The things that have happened in your story or maybe are happening in your story where some hard things where you're walking through, they are happening and, are ha- and when you walk with God and not wasting pain, he doesn't waste this. He does something in you with his comfort and his mercy so that you can extend it to others so that they would find hope and redemption. So some of you are walking through things that seem dark and seem hopeless and you, you're not quite sure what God, God, what are you doing in the midst of the season? And some of you are able to look back on those seasons and see with clarity how God has shaped you and how he has used those stories to be able to shape others. There's been so many of you who have walked through this path. And honestly, there's been stories of where you were abused or stories of, of walking through something terribly difficult of divorce or something that, that happened in this season where you now are being conduits and vessels of God's grace and comfort to others. And you never would have been able to say what God is doing now in in your midst and through your story. He is using your story and the comfort that he gave you in ways to help bring hope to others. That's been true. I've seen that in so many of your stories. It's been true in my story as God has worked. He He has shown other people hope and comfort because of what he's done in my story. And so I want, we wanna leave you this morning, we wanna leave you with this, kind of this thought of what is God doing here that will shape others? The comfort he gives you as you walk with him in the midst of pain to be able to lead others to that place. We're gonna sing a song in just a minute, so I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come back on stage. And, and while they're getting ready, let me transition into the song by, by saying this, picking up where Eric just left us. This last week, Jody and I went on a date. We went to an Andrew Peterson concert. He's one of my favorite singer-songwriters. And he was telling the story of how he wrote this one lyric in one of his songs. And, and I thought about this lyric this morning as we think about the story, creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Think about fellowship story. Think about your own story. And, and I want to take you back to the big picture of what God is doing. And the, the lyric of the song said this, hold on to the promise because the stories are true. All those stories in the Bible, they're true. The story of Jesus Christ, the grand story of creation and the redemption and the recreation and how beautiful that's going to be when we finally get to heaven and earth merged together. The story of what Eric was just saying, that the hard places in your own story, Jesus is doing something there. The stories are true. The story is what we all need. So we're going to sing this song called I Say Yes. It was written by our worship team. We're going to be using it frequently throughout this series. And I want to tell you what you're going to say yes to in the lyrics of this song. It's not about I say yes to Fellowship Bible Church. It's about I say yes to God's story in me. And by the way, it's no accident that you're sitting here today. You're a part of this church, whether you came in for the first time or you've been here like the Negley's since the very beginning. You're a part of this church. Will you say yes to whatever God calls you to, whether it's at fellowship, whether it's somewhere else? Will you say yes to the work of the Spirit in your own life? That's our posture. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be about as a church, is to say yes to where God leads us. So stand to your feet, and we're going to close our service by singing this song together.